I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. A week from Tuesday, San Francisco voters will have to choose between two housing measures on the ballot that sound very similar. Proposition D is the only measure that speeds up construction of affordable new homes by removing bureaucratic roadblocks. I support Prop E because Prop E will create good jobs. And it would actually build affordable housing faster. Housing that works for working families like mine. Propositions D and E both aim to speed up housing construction in San Francisco, a process also known as streamlining. That's important because the city is notorious for having a painfully slow approval process for new construction projects. So why are there two different measures on the ballot with similar goals? The long answer is... Each proposition provides a different set of requirements that would make certain construction projects eligible for streamlining. The short answer is politics. Chronicle reporter Noah Arroyo has spent weeks digging into these measures to help bring clarity to not only what these measures will do for the city's housing crisis, but also to the political battle that's brewing under the surface in San Francisco. Noah says that if you're confused about propositions D and E, Don't feel bad. It's not your fault. Noah Arroyo is here to help explain how all of this got so complicated. Noah, welcome to Fifth Emission. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the differences between the competing housing measures on the ballot, let's talk about the housing need in San Francisco. Obviously, everyone knows we need more of it, and the state has actually weighed in on this. What has California demanded of San Francisco? Well, the state has demanded that San Francisco build somewhere in the neighborhood of 82,000 additional housing units by around 2030. And so San Francisco is going to need to figure out a way to do that. And what's at risk if they can't come up with a proper plan and execute on it is potential loss of state funding. My understanding is that in recent memory, San Francisco has not built at the pace that would be necessary annually for the city to hit that mark that the state has set before it. Right now, this year, building permits are are very down. And if you talk to developers, then they will say pretty unanimously that that is a function of really high costs of construction. Now that is Mm. materials, that's labor, but they will also say that's things like high fees from the city. And one of the major um, burdens on a project uh, is going to be the amount of affordable units that are included in market rate projects. And I realize that this gets complicated, but it's obviously relevant to a discussion about propositions D and E. So these two housing measures, which San Francisco voters will have to understand, they're different, but they also have similar goals. Tell me about the similar goals here. Well, the similar goals, I think, could be most broadly described as increasing the speed of housing construction generally. Mm-hmm. The way that D and E both go about that for market rate projects, which is one of the types of projects that they would make streamline available to, the way that they do that is by shortening the design review period. It could go from taking years from worst case scenarios and stories that we've heard to taking a few months. And that is for market rate projects that would have affordable housing as a component of them. One other aspect that's very important is that both measures for market rate projects would take environmental review off the table. That means that public hearings and lawsuits theoretically could not contain those environmental arguments that historically have bogged down and slowed many projects. Okay, so to back up a little bit, we're talking about streamlining housing construction in San Francisco. 
but not all projects, right? Which real estate projects do Props D and E target? So Propositions D and E would offer streamlining to real estate projects that fell into three different categories. One is market rate projects that have affordable housing as a component of them. Another is projects that were composed entirely of affordable housing. And the third is educator housing. Now, for my reporting in my article, we focus primarily on market rate housing and secondarily on fully affordable projects. And the reason is because, to our knowledge, these are the types of projects that have been most produced in San Francisco and market rate specifically has accounted for most of the units created in San Francisco mm -hmm. and therefore seem to us to be worth spending the most time on. Mm -hmm. Now, the competition between these two measures, as you've noted in your reporting, have sort of become this proxy battle between political progressives and moderates in the city. Who's behind each of these measures? Right. Proposition D is backed by the political moderates in San Francisco. And this is generally the Mayor London breed, as well as certain other groups in the city, including, for instance, the Housing Action Coalition. They have been a major proponent of Prop D. Proposition E is backed by political progressives in San Francisco, which include members of the Board of Supervisors like Supervisor Connie Chan, Supervisor Aaron Peskin. And it's also backed by um, some groups, including the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Mm. So, Noah, as you've noted, San Francisco is just notorious for being really hard to build housing. And one of the main reasons why is this very long approval process for housing applications, which you mentioned Tell me more about how each of those measures plan to address that specific barrier. Well, there are some places where the two propositions differ meaningfully, uh, according to their backers. For instance, Proposition D, uh, this is all about the, the first step in a project getting approved for streamlining. This is before anything gets design review or building permits or anything like that. A project would need to apply for streamlining the planning department would weigh in on that. And Proposition D sets very clear guidelines for how that would work. A project would apply and the planning department would have 60 days to decide whether that application should be approved or denied. Now, let's say that the planning department were unable to weigh in on that project's application within that period of time. If that were true, then following the 60-day period, the project would be automatically approved for streamlining. So it can start the fast-track process. Proposition E does not set up that consequence. So it still has a 60-day time limit, but it doesn't say auto approval if that time limit isn't met by the city. Now, Prop D's backers will say that this auto approval element is really important because it means that projects will more easily be able to sail through, which will result in more housing, which addresses the housing crisis. Now, Prop E's backers have a different point of view. They say that the auto approval is actually maybe a bad thing, that what it could enable is for projects to intentionally create applications that are convoluted, complicated, and that the planning department would really, really struggle to weigh in on within that time period. And if projects did that, and you can imagine if many projects did that, then it could mean that projects get streamlined that really shouldn't. Mm. So is it fair to say that Proposition E backers want still some sort of discretion in project approvals. That is fair to say for 100% affordable housing projects. And this is where we get into the weeds. So recall that there are three different types of projects that either measure would offer streamlining to. 
And the two that we're focusing here on are the market rate projects and the 100% affordable. Now for the market rate projects, there is no distinction. Both props D and E would offer streamlining in the ways that developers have told me, market rate developers, that would offer the greatest benefits. So that is a quickened timetable and taking environmental review off the table and also mm -hmm. removing it as the basis for a lawsuit. Now, when you get to 100% affordable housing projects, the distinctions are slightly different. Proposition D would remove the Board of Supervisors' ability to approve the expenditure of large public funds for 100% affordable housing projects. Proposition E would retain the board's authority to approve those funds. And so the argument that I've heard is that it's at this approval point when a project could get slowed. And it is also that by having that retained, it could politicize projects. And I spoke to one developer who said that they did experience a slowdown as a result of the board having this approval power. And I think what's really important to point out here is that neither proposition would do the one thing that would cause a massive scale up in the production of 100% affordable housing projects, and that is increase funding. Developers I talked mm -hmm. to said that, look, if you want to build more 100% affordable housing projects, we need more money. And so if that isn't going to happen through these measures, then again, the impact is somewhat questionable. More with reporter Noah Arroyo after a quick break. We'll get into the nitty-gritty differences between the two housing measures, and he'll explain why San Francisco politics is making all of this so confusing. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Noah, speaking of affordable housing, the propositions also set different proportions of affordable housing units to new market rate projects. D would raise it from the city's existing baseline of 22% to 25%, while E would require 30%. How have developers compared the propositions on that front? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, some developers will say that a higher proportion of affordable units on site would make it harder for those projects to pencil out. And that is because if you have a, a unit in your project where the rent is set below the market rate, then that's giving up rent revenue on an ongoing basis compared to a unit where the rent could be set anywhere. And so I've spoken to developers who said that because both of these measures increase the percentage of affordable housing units in market rate projects, that both of these measures would make it harder to produce housing. Now, there is disagreement on this point because I've spoken to other developers who said that both measures would at least help. And I spoke to one developer who said that, well, <laughs> the savings from a streamlined development timeline are going to more than offset the loss in rent revenue from an increased percentage of affordable units. And mm. so... What makes it difficult is that, you know, different developers will say different things. So to clarify, these different affordable housing thresholds in each measure matter because projects would have to meet these percentages in order to even be eligible for streamlining, right? Well, well, yes. The way this would work is that, first of all, it's not that either of these measures would require that any market rate project hit these higher thresholds of affordable units. It's that either of these measures would say that 
if a project wants that fast tracking, then they would have to hit the higher percentage. And also the propositions set different income ceilings for who in San Francisco would qualify for those affordable housing units. Tell me about that. Well, this is, again, this is a really important distinction. And and I have to apologize for voters. I just feel so bad for them that they have to make this distinction. We're, we're almost right. asking them to be legislative analysts here. If we're talking about market rate projects, my reporting revealed that actually both measures would retain the city's pre-existing income ceilings for the affordable units in those projects. That is not the case for projects that were 100% affordable housing. Prop D would set the project-wide income limit at 120% of the local median income, which is $116,400 for a single-person household. So the rent would be calculated based on that income level, and it could be no greater than that. It could be lower, but it could be no greater. Prop E would set the income level project-wide at 80% of the median income, which is $77,600 for a single-person household. Now, both of these propositions would set the individual unit income level slightly higher, but the project-wide average would have to hit those thresholds. Let's get back into the politics of all these nuances here. And I want to bring back the point that you made earlier when it comes to affordable housing projects. You mentioned that Propositions D and E regard approval from the city's board of supervisors differently. D would remove the need for approval while E would keep the board's power. What does that say about the political battle that's happening here? Well, the argument from the Prop D camp is that it's important to remove the board's authority over the expenditure of large public funds on 100% affordable housing projects because it would streamline those projects that much more. They argue that the the board's approval power politicizes those projects and that that could cause slowdown. And I did hear it from one developer that they have experienced slowdown in, in their project as a result of, you know, the board of supervisors weighing in. It slowed the project mm -hmm. by a year. It cost the project an additional $1 million. Whereas the Prop E camp says that this is an important tool that the board has had for a long time. It's an oversight and transparency tool. And that that's especially important to have in an era where, you know, anybody who reads the news on a regular basis in San Francisco, there are ongoing revelations about corruption in City Hall. Mm. And so transparency mm -hmm. is that much more important to retain. Noah, we're talking about streamlining housing approvals in San Francisco in an effort to address the city's housing crisis. But there are also other barriers that the measures don't address. What have developers told you about the back and forth with these two propositions? One thing that kept coming up in my conversations with primarily market rate developers is that there are a number of things that they say would need to change in order for San Francisco to see a market uptick in the rate of construction. And streamlining is definitely one of those things, but there are plenty others. There's the cost of labor, the cost of materials, there's impact fees, but there are only so many things that the government in general has control over and mm -hmm. a, an even smaller fraction of those things that our local government has control over. Now, propositions D and E are affecting those things. But that doesn't change that interest rates are high. You know, it doesn't change that materials costs are super high. And so until those things start to shift or 
until our government comes up with other policies that start to mitigate for that, that they were telling me, you're, you're not going to see a major uptick. You might see certain projects pencil out more, and that's great, but neither of these is a silver bullet. That is one place where the proponents of either measure agreed. They both said that neither of these is a panacea, and so other things will need to happen. Right. Now, Noah, I appreciate the fact that you're breaking all of this down for us. This is very complicated and nuanced, as you've mentioned. But for someone who doesn't follow San Francisco's housing politics as closely as you do, this does feel like San Francisco voters are left to act like, as you mentioned, legislators here. What does that say about city politics when voters have to analyze these two bills this closely in order to make a voting decision? (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I my heart goes out to voters. I put this question to State Senator Scott Weiner, who is a vocal proponent of Prop D. And I said, what does it say about our local political system in San Francisco that instead of having one ballot measure, which by the way, this had to go to voters mm-hmm. because it would amend the charter. So the Board of Supervisors could not make a sort of streamlining change to our housing policy without asking voters to weigh in, but they did not need to offer two competing ballot measures. The reason that they did is because the two sides, the progressive camp and the the moderate camp, were not able to agree on how this should all work. Mm -hmm. And so I said, does this inability to agree, does this mark a breakdown in the local political system? And almost without hesitation, State Senator Scott Weiner said to me, yes, yes, it does. And he said he he would have wished that the board and the mayor and you know all these different camps had agreed on something, but they didn't. And he said, San Francisco voters are very informed and thoughtful, and and they're going to figure this out. I spoke to a political scientist, uh, Corey Cook, and put this question to him. And what he said was, when voters are confused, they tend to vote against something. Or mm-hmm. um, if I'm speaking from personal experience perhaps not even weigh in on it, leave something blank because they're worried about having a a, a negative impact on local policy. And so what you could see is that neither of these pass because voters are just confused. And again, a vote for both is functionally speaking kind of a vote for neither. It could push both closer uh, or even past the 50% plus one limit, but it wouldn't make one win. For one to win, it has to receive more votes than the other. And so I think we're putting a daunting task before voters to basically act as political analysts. Mm-hmm. Look, I spent weeks reporting on these to try to understand just how they work, you know, the basic mechanics. I've done this before. I've, I've worked on other ballot measures uh, to break them down for my previous uh, newsroom. I've done this a lot. And, and I can say, it is a very difficult thing to try to understand how these complex things work. These are perhaps more complex than other measures I've looked at, but I've always found it to be difficult. And so I sympathize with voters who don't have, you know, full-time hours paid like I do to go through this stuff. I question if this is the best way to get things done. Noah, this is complicated and frankly, pretty frustrating for voters. Thanks for helping me understand this. I appreciate the time. Well, thank you for having me. 
Noah Arroyo is a reporter with the Chronicle's SF Next initiative, which seeks to find solutions to San Francisco's intractable problems. Learn more about the project at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. If you want to dive even more into Propositions D&E before Election Day, check out an upcoming episode on our sister podcast, Fixing Our City. It will be published next Tuesday, November 1st. For more guidance on your ballot, check out the Chronicle's Voter Guide at sfchronicle.com slash voter guide. Thank you to King Kaufman for the edits and to you for listening. <laughs>